you have to know how to handle those plot twists. And uh, it's one of the things that I help a lot of my coaching clients, you know, with is, is how do you navigate those things? And how do you learn to not just accept change, but embrace change? Because there's a big difference in attitude between, oh, you know, it happened and I don't like it, but I guess we got to change. That's a bad attitude. A good attitude is, this is really actually pretty incredible. We have a tremendous opportunity here. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a repeat guest. He's not been on the show once. He's not been on the show twice. This is his record third appearance. He is one of the top thought leaders in the world on the subject of success. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Chris Widener. Welcome to the show, Chris. Nikki, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, man. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you here, my friend. So You know, your, your introduction reminded me, I don't know if you know this, but there's a club on Saturday Night Live and it's all the people who have been on Saturday Night Live as a guest host five times or more. And uh, when Justin Timberlake did his fifth time, he was ushered into this room where all the other guys were waiting for him and they put a jacket on him and everything. It was kind of funny. So, that's you awesome. know, maybe we should start a club for anybody that's been on your show three times. They get a special jacket. You know what? That's good. I like it. I like it. I like it. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. The, the Thought Leader Revolution jacket. It's a cool idea. As soon as we're actually back in the swing of being able to do live events, we'll make it happen. So, <laughs> hey, man, it's, it's a real pleasure to have you here. You know, you're one of the thought leaders in our industry that I truly respect the most because you're someone who doesn't just uh, talk the talk, but you walk the walk. And you, you've been putting a new book together. Could you tell us about this new book and, and what made you decide to put it together at this time? Yeah, actually, it's called Lasting Impact, and the subtitle is Creating a Life and Business that Lives Beyond You. And it probably stems mostly or was driven mostly from my age. Uh, I'm 54. I just turned 54 a couple weeks ago, and, you know, they call that middle-aged. I read a book a long time ago by Bob Buford. You've probably read it yourself, Nikki, um, called Halftime, Moving from Success to Significance. And and if you haven't read it, it's an amazing book. Uh, I read it a long time ago, probably 30 years ago. So I've always been focused on legacy and impact. And and yet you get to this certain age and you've had all the success. I mean, I have done everything I've wanted to do in life. Just, I mean, everything. Uh, anything I've wanted to do, I've done it. I've, I've been successful at it. I've had some failures as well. But I'm at a place now where it's kind of like you, you start looking at your legacy. You know, my next big birthday will be 60. And then the next one after that is 70. So, you know, I'm, I'm just two big birthdays away from being an older man. And uh, you start asking questions like, what is my impact? And then 
with me, you know, how can I help other people make an impact so that their life matters? And, and so that's really what drove it and, and caused me to start really thinking deeply about these and put together a book to help other people think through these things as well. You know, I love that. That's actually really, really well put. We live in a time where a lot of people are starting to think about the question of why am I here? What's my purpose? Why did God put me here on this earth? What am I meant to do? And you're starting to really tackle that question in this book. So let's dig a little bit deeper. How does this book go about the process of showing people how to think about the kind of impact they want to have and to turn that into reality? Well, you know, the first thing that I do in the book is I talk to people about how everybody is designed for impact, but not everybody is designed for the level or the depth or the breadth of impact. And so there are some people who are world impactors, right? These are people that you could probably go anywhere in the world and say, do you know who Nelson Mandela is? Yes. Do you know who John F. Kennedy was? Yes. Do you know who, you know, you pick pick these people that have impact the world over, uh, Mother Teresa, uh, uh, folks like that. And then you have like national impact, people who could, you could probably name, I don't know, three quarters of the countries in the world, and I couldn't tell you who their leader was. But that leader is impacting millions of people's lives in their country. And then it shrinks to, you know, for Americans, you know, state and city and and then all the way down to the family. You know, we are impactors in our families. We impact our our siblings, our parents, our children, our spouses. And so just really drawing people's attention to what do you what do you want your impact to be? And what are you called? How big are you called to impact? And then I do challenge them to think bigger. One of the first chapters in the book as well is it's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. And so really just challenging people to think about how big of an impact they can make. You know, I really like that because one of the things that I've realized about myself is I haven't thought as big as I I can. I've I've wanted to achieve, and I've achieved a decent amount, but I think I could have thought bigger. I think I could have achieved bigger. And that's something that I'm starting to think about more and more right now. And maybe it's because I'm in a similar age bracket as you. I'm 52, right? Yeah. And I, I recently became uh, friends with Mark Victor Hansen, the creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And this yeah. guy sets goals like nobody I've ever met. Like when he wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, he didn't want to sell a million copies. He wanted to sell a billion copies and he's closing in on 500 million so far so he's done pretty good right he's done all right (laughs) yeah he's done all right so when i think about that and i go okay so how do i get my impact to be at a higher level and the way to do that really is for me to be around people who think bigger isn't that a great way isn't it important for us to surround ourselves with good peers yeah, I mean, you become like the people that you hang around with. And so if you hang around with small thinkers, you're you're either going to become a small thinker or you're going to want to not hang around with those people anymore because it's going to be frustrating. But, you know, it, it really is just as easy to think big as it is to think small. So I tell people, OK, whatever you're thinking, just think a little bit bigger. You know, if, if, if you're making 75,000 this year and you say, oh, you know, I, I want to make 85 next year, why not make it 100? Why not make it 100 and uh, and go out and make your 100? If you want to start something that reaches 10,000 people, why not say you want to reach 100,000 people with your, your mission or, or something like that? I learned this at a very early age. 
My first sales call I ever went on in my entire life, I was 14 years old. And my mom worked at Group Health Hospital. And she worked with a guy whose name I can't remember. I can actually picture him. And he worked in the medical records department. And so that meant eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. He basically sat in a file and filed paperwork and folders. You can imagine that would drive me nuts. I could never do it. So he wanted some money. So he borrowed some money from his rich uncle and he bought the license to a self-watering flower pot. It was basically two plastic bowls, one fit in the other. The bottom bowl had the water. The top bowl had the, the, the small plant. And they had a, a thing on the side that you could move from left to right that was a gauge on how much water to draw up from the bit of water below it. And so he says to me, I was in with my mom one day. She, I don't know. I took the bus down to work or something. And he said, hey, you want to make some money? I said, yeah, I always want to make some money. He says, I just got this deal. I own the rights to the self-watering flower pot for Alaska, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And uh, I said, okay. And he said, I'll pay you a dollar a pot for every pot you sell. And I said, okay, perfect. I said, why don't you give me a, give me a few pots and I'll take them. And so I called, and I can't remember if it was Ernst Home Center or Pay and Pack, but back then, long before the big box stores, there was, uh, there was Pay and Pack and Ernst Home Centers in, in Washington State. I can't remember which one it was, but my mom bought me a blue blazer and drove me to downtown Seattle. I got out on the street, like on 4th Avenue, walked into their office. I had arranged an appointment with the buyer to show them a self-watering flower pot. I walk in. He was shocked to see a 14-year-old. I showed him the pot. I didn't have a plant in the top, I, but I put water in the bottom, stuck the top in, moved the dial, and he saw water come up. <laughs> he went, okay, I'm in. So nice. he says, I'll tell you what. He says, I will buy four boxes for 20 stores for a year as a test. So I'll buy four boxes per month for a year through 20, 20 of our stores. I think they had 120 or 180, something like that. He wanted to do a test for a year. Well, let's do the math on that. There's 24 to a box, but let's call it 25 because it'll make it easier for the math. So he's basically buying 100 per store per month, 20 stores. So 2,000 a month, 2,000 a month times 12 is 24,000 pots. On my very first sales call I ever made in my life selling anything, I sold 24,000 flower pots. Wow. And I was 14 years old. And the guy, the guy had the biggest grin on his face when he shook my hand at the end. He's like, yeah, I can't remember exactly what he said. I just remember him looking at me like, he, he must have been thinking, I just bought 24,000 flower pots from a 14-year-old. <laughs> so I went back to this guy. He didn't know that I was going there. So I went back to the guy and I said, hey, I sold some flower pots. Now, he thought I was going to go door to door. He thought I was going to go door to door selling them, you know, two at a time to old ladies. So I said, hey, I sold some flower pots. He said, how many did you sell? And I said, 24,000. Now, Nikki, this is a great lesson in and of itself. This guy was such a small thinker, he panicked. And he called the company up and he said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want my $7,000 back. Wow. The success panicked him. He couldn't see himself. Now, what I want to know, now my mom passed away before I figured out I should have asked her this. Why didn't she borrow 7,000 bucks from somebody and buy the contract and let it, because it was all drop shipping, Nikki. It wasn't like he was going to have 24,000 pots shipped to his apartment and he had to keep them in his third bedroom. You know, it was all drop shipping. 
And but it but he panicked. He was so afraid of success and money that um, it it overwhelmed his desire for a better life with a little more money. And so I didn't get the money for the twenty four thousand uh, pots that I sold. Oh shucks. <laughs> It, the whole thing fell through, but I got the order and he just wouldn't fulfill it. So, and, and that was a great lesson. It's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. I could have, it was literally just as easy for me to call on the phone, ask for the buyer, ask for an appointment and go in as it would have been for me to spend a Saturday walking up and down streets selling one at a time to old ladies. You know what? Well said, my friend. Well said. I'm going to write that down. That's that powerful, right? It's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. Okay, so I'm loving this. Give me more. What other stories do you have that'll drive home your powerful message? Well, I'll tell you another one. Um, it's a great story. You and I are Facebook friends. You've probably seen a couple posts about it. Our girls have a, a friend, uh, a boy who played football here locally. And this, this story is about preparation. When, when opportunity asks you to dance, you better know how to dance. Because imagine if you were at a high school dance and you're a boy and the best looking girl in high school walks up and says, would you dance? And you go, uh, I don't know how to dance. Like you would have blown a major opportunity. So it's about preparation. You have to prepare yourself to be able to walk through those doors of opportunity. Now, this young man got a, uh, a scholarship to USC to play football as a quarterback. And he went to USC, he graduated mid-year, so December. So he was out there for spring uh, practice last year. And he was the fourth string quarterback. He was a true freshman. They didn't redshirt him. He was a true freshman. And he was the fourth string quarterback. And by the end of spring practices, he was the second string quarterback. And on the first game of last year, the number one quarterback went down and his name is Keaton Slovis, K-E-D-O-N Slovis. Real good kid. He's been to the house for barbecues and stuff. Super. He reminds me actually a lot of Peyton Manning, both in how he looks and plays and, and his personality. Nice. So he steps in, true freshman, 18 years old, and he proceeds to break just about every USC passing record ever held. Um, wow. he was, he was freshman pack 12 freshman player of the year. He broke the all time record for most passes, uh, passing yards in a game, 515, no USC quarterback had ever thrown for over 500 before most yards ever thrown in a quarter, 295, most touchdowns ever thrown in a quarter four. just on and on and on made him into a winning team. And frankly, I think he saved the coach's job because the coach was ready to be run out on a rail, but, uh, Keaton did so well that I think, you know, he's, he's going to probably be the starter now for the next three years. I don't know how you put the original kid back in. It'll be interesting. They'll battle for that, for that position, but here's the preparation part. They asked, and I tell that story in the book and I've told that story on Facebook. Maybe you've, you've seen it when I've posted about Keaton, but here's the really interesting part about the legacy part. So a reporter asked Keaton one time, is it that much more difficult playing college than it was high school? And he said, oh, no, it's actually easier. And the, the, I, I think the – and Keaton isn't cocky at all. At least I've never seen it. But uh, I think the reporter thought he was pretty cocky because most people say, oh, man, it was so much more hard to go to the college level. And then when you go to the pro level, oh, it's so much more difficult. But he said it was easier. And the guy said, how could it possibly be easier than your high school? 
And he said, do you know who my high school football quarterback coach was? And the guy said, no. And he said, it was Kurt Warner. I was running, I was running a pro style football offense from the time I was a sophomore in high school. And it makes sense, doesn't it? So sure. Kurt Warner for three years taught this kid how to read and read defenses and run a pro style offense. So here's wow. what happened. When all those kids step up to the line, and I played quarterback growing up, so you step, you call a play in the in the huddle, you step up to the line, and now you have to make a decision. We can run the play, or you have to start reading the defense. You have to decide, well, this different play would work better because the linebackers moved over here, or they're going to blitz, so we're going to throw it. You know, all these different decisions that get made. And I really think that what happened was was when Keaton stepped up to the line, he just saw so much more than the other boys did because he'd been trained for three years to to know what to look for and how to make those changes. So Keaton is a great athlete. He's got a great arm, smart kid. But the preparation was having Kurt Warner as your high school quarterback coach. And so when he walked in, he was just much more fully developed than the other young men at, at USC. And that's why he ended up starting and breaking all the records. Well, you know, preparation is a key lesson that we got from what you just shared in that story. But another key lesson is who you hang around matters and matters a lot. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, you think about that, like inside inside my business, inside my primary businesses, I, I run a company with my sweet better half. It's called eCircle Academy. And what we do is we help folks who are in business, mostly service-based business owners, how to position themselves as what we call a thought leader, right? And that's why the show's called The Thought Leader Revolution, so that they have that expertise that's within them. They can bring that expertise out and learn how to get their message dialed in and then also how to how to like sell and how to sell effectively. And most of them, God bless them, have not been charging enough. Almost everybody I run into hasn't been charging enough. They come into E-Circle Academy now and, and they work with us. Whether they keep working with us or not, that's one thing they all get. So we, we kind of like get them ready. So they get their message dialed in and they start charging what they're worth instead of undercharging like almost everybody does. And that allows a lot of them to like add 100, 200, 300,000 or more to their annual income. And you see, Keaton working with Kurt Warner took him from being just an ordinary kid playing at a high school level to being a kid who was ready to step into the pros, not even just college, right? So by the time he got that opportunity with USC, he was more ready than any kid who'd ever stepped into a quarterback role that USC had ever been Absolutely. in its entire history. So yeah. that's why who you hang around matters. That's why someone gets to hang around with Chris Wagner, even if it's only through your books or your podcast, never mind if they get to work with you in a coaching capacity, their game is going to be elevated because you're going to give them something they wouldn't otherwise be able to get. Yeah. And it, it is interesting to see how those differences are made. You know, physically, you know, you can't step on the field and all of a sudden just make yourself 30 pounds heavier and, you know, all those kinds. He, he has the raw physical talent. It was the mental side that really, you know, that really moved him forward and, and made him better. I can remember watching him in high school and, and watching him play and thinking to myself, I said it to my wife numerous times. I'm like, this kid isn't that good. How is he going to USC? Because he had a lot of incomplete passes. And then in, in his senior year, I thought, oh, I bet it's the receivers. 
Like, I think they can't catch his balls because he throws so hard, so sharp. You know, they're not running the routes right or whatever. And, of course, when he gets to USC, he's got Pittman and, and a couple of other just world-class receivers for college. And all of a sudden, they're pulling everything down. And and it made me really realize that who you surround yourself with and, – and the kids were great kids. We knew, you know, a lot of the kids on the football team. But they weren't, you know, Division One college football players. So when he started playing with Division One football players – you know, they were catching balls that would have been marginal for a high school kid. Um, and so that made Keaton look better. So who he surrounds himself with playing at that level, being fully prepared, allowed them to have, a you know, a really great year. That's that's incredible. And if if he continues along this path and there's every reason to believe that he will, he's going to have a fantastic college career and he's probably going to yep. get drafted by the NFL and he's going to make himself millions of dollars. And, yeah. and and really be able to put himself in a position where he gets to have like a childhood dream come true. It's a beautiful thing. It truly is. Now this is a great segue for another story in the in the book. I am really good friends with a guy named Andre Wadsworth, and um, some people, especially football fans, you'll know who Andre is right away. Andre uh, went to a tiny little Christian high school in Florida, and Andre's big. I mean, he's a big dude. And, um, but he wasn't really, he was kind of drafted by like, you know, or recruited by smaller schools, you know, like Central Florida and East Carolina and, you know, some of those kinds of schools to play football. But he wanted to play for the Seminoles, Florida State Seminoles. And, and they had a coach, Bobby Bowden, who was a devout Christian guy. And Andre said he wanted he's to go there. So they, yeah, and so they said, uh, well, we're not going to give you a, a scholarship, but you can walk on. So he walks on at Florida State. Long story short, four years later, he's the third pick in the NFL draft. Um, wow. The first pick of the draft was Peyton Manning. The second pick of the draft is probably the one of the greatest busts of all time in the NFL history, uh, a guy named Ryan Leaf, oh, who yeah. was a Washington State Cougar. And the third pick was Andre Wadsworth. I asked Andre, he spoke at a men's event I put on a couple of years ago, and I asked him when I was introducing him, you know, what was your combine scores? Combine, for those of you who don't know, it's when all the players get together, college, and they, the college players get together in the NFL draft, all the scouts come and watch, and they make them run a 40-yard dash and do a vertical jump and bench press and all this stuff. And he said, Chris, I was six foot five, 265. I ran a four five five forty. And I'm like, you are a beast. That and he goes, is fast, man. And he looks at me, he gets a big smile, and he said, and I had a 39-inch vertical jump. <laughs> I'm like, God, you Whoa. are insane. Six foot, I mean, this, he's just a beast. Well, I'll tell you where I met Andre. I met Andre because he is the associate pastor at a church that we attended for a while. And I ended up getting to know him, knew his story, he, in his first three years in the NFL, had 15 knee surgeries and washed out. I, I don't think he hardly played any, any at all. Uh, 15 knee surgeries in three years is a lot. He ended up buying some car dealerships because he, he signed like a $30 million contract. A bunch of it was guaranteed. So he, you know, he made out well with money. Certainly he wanted to play. He wanted to play pro football. He, he would have rather taken less money and played a whole you know, career than take a bunch of money and get washed out. 
Well, it ends up that he decided to start a Bible study for professional athletes here in the Phoenix area. And at one point, he had about 150 athletes and their wives from all of the four major sports, you know, uh, the Coyotes and the Cardinals and the Diamondbacks and the Suns. And he kind of looked around and thought, maybe we should start a church. Uh, I mean, we've got 150 people here. It's bigger than most churches. And, and so they started a church and they called it Impact Church. And that church last year was one of the 10 fastest growing churches in America. Now, Andre's not a preacher, so they hired a preacher, somebody who could preach. But every Sunday morning when you walk into Impact Church, right at the front door is this beast of a man who stands under a tent and hands out water to people as they come in. What an incredible servant. And he's friendly and he'll give you a hug and a handshake. Just an amazing guy. But he's in a chapter called Plot Twist. What happens when what you thought was going to happen doesn't happen? Sometimes what you think is going to be your impact and your legacy is not what God had planned for you. Uh, sometimes we experience these giant plot twists in our lives. And you and I are recording this during the coronavirus scare. And, and I mean, this is a plot twist. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, in my career as, as a professional speaker, completely gone. I mean, at this point, it's completely gone. I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and, you know, of, of speeches and, and everything. And my friends, same thing. You know, you add up my close inner circle and we've lost millions of dollars worth of, of speaking engagements. Plot twist. So what do you do? What do you do when what you thought was going to happen doesn't happen? So, you know, there's a lot of us that are making some changes. Now, thankfully, I've got great royalties that come in from all the things I've done over the years, you know, and I I am doing some virtual seminars and and some of that. But, you know, I've got my coaching program. and, And so I'm putting more people into my coaching program. I'm starting my 22nd book, the one that will come out after Lasting Impact. It'll come out mid year next year. I started a 501c3. Um, you know, just I'm, I'm, I'm making the changes that need to happen. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. They don't know how to adapt. And yeah. the people who make the best impact are the people who know how to adapt and people who know how to handle plot twists because plot twists come in everybody's life. Divorce, Alzheimer's, sickness, wayward children, drug addiction. I mean, there, there are plot twists that happen in everybody's life. When I was four years old, my dad died completely out of the blues. Woke up May 1st, died November 18th. Uh, woke up May 1st with flu-like symptoms, died November 18th. That oh, was a man. plot twist for my mom and myself. You have to know how to handle those plot twists. And uh, it's one of the things that I help a lot of my coaching clients you know, with is, is how do you navigate those things? And how do you learn to uh, not just accept change, but embrace change? Because there's a big difference in attitude between, oh, you know, it happened and I don't like it, but I guess we got to change. That's a bad attitude. Yeah. A good attitude is, this is really actually pretty incredible. We have a tremendous opportunity here. My son's business, he went from processing uh, about $120,000 to $150,000 a month in credit card fees to like this month, two months into this, he'll be over $440,000 in business this month. Wow, and incredible. So almost a triple, almost a triple, if not a triple, in two months. 
because of the business that he's in. And so there are always opportunities. You know, Zig Ziglar used to talk about all the people that got rich during the Great Depression. And he realized that some people get rich, even in bad situations. Why is that? So, you know, helping people navigate those those bumps in the road, really important. You know what? I really like what you just said. So before I get into it, please connect me with your friend, Andre. I'd love to have him on the show. He sounds like oh, he's yeah, got he's a great. heck of a story. Would you please do that? I'll tell you, I want to tell you a story. I just think it's an amazing story. This is the kind of guy Andre is. He told the story at the men's retreat thing that we did. He was playing against a guy, and I can't remember the guy's name, but it was a guy who Andre said was one of the dirtiest players in the NFL. And he said, this guy would kick you, bite you, pinch you, slug you, anything when you were in the piles. And he said, and he had a mouth like a trucker combined with a sailor. Uh, and he said, this guy just cussed and cussed and he would cuss at me. He would just say all these dirty, foul things. And he said, as a Christian, I didn't want to get into it with him, I, but I wanted to say something back. So he said, one game, I'm up against this guy and he's just trash talking me the whole time, dirty language and everything. And he says, I'm out on the football field and I'm praying, God, what should I say to this guy? Tell me the exact words I should say to this guy, because what I want to say isn't what I should probably say. <laughs> so, so Andre sort of in his head, the next time he ends up against this guy and the guy's cussing at him and he looks at the guy and says, does your mother know you talk like that? And he said the guy, his eyes popped like saucers and he turned around, walked away, didn't cuss the rest of the game. So they didn't play him again the rest of the season. And then the, during the off season, they were at some NFL sponsored event and he walked in and one of the other players came up to him and said, oh man, I didn't know that you and so-and-so were such good friends. And he, and he named this guy that Andre had said this to. And he looks at the guy and he goes, I'm not friends with him. I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, oh, he said, well, I was just up in Bible study and the preacher at the Bible study that the NFL puts on for players who want Bible study, the preacher at the Bible study was telling us how good of friends you and him were. And he goes, who's the preacher in Bible study? And he goes, oh, it's so-and-so's mom. She's a pastor. Oh. <laughs> so it's like Andre tells this story that like God gave him the exact words that would teach him to shut his yap, right? He all God of a sudden, bless kid, Andre. Went, oh boy, my mother would be really angry with me if she heard me talking <laughs> like this. And it actually made him respect Andre. As so much so that Andre was, uh, or this other guy was, he told his moms he was friends with Andre. He told other players he was friends with Andre and they became friends over it. That's incredible. I mean, he's honestly, got great stories. You should have him on. He's a really no, good I want to have him on. Like, please, yeah. please introduce me, him to me. I'd love to have him on. So, you know, we're talking about the coronavirus and what this time's been like. So here, here is how I uh, am choosing to frame this time. I'm looking at this time as being an incredible time, a time where the good Lord has given us an opportunity to take stock and really go deep within and say, hey, am I living my life the way that I want to be living it? Am I living my life in a way that I was intended to live it? And for me, I've discovered that there's some things that I ought to be doing differently, okay? So I'm going to share something with you, Chris. Ever since I was a little kid, 
I wanted to be a writer. I read a ton. Last year, I read 124 books. And this isn't audiobooks. I'm talking like paperbacks, you know what I mean, yeah. and hardcovers. I read 124 books, half fiction, half nonfiction. This year, I'm up to 51. I'm on my 52nd book so far this year. Ever since I was a little boy, I've wanted to be a best-selling writer and a real best-selling writer. You know what I mean? Sell like several hundred thousand million books. Now, I've written a few books. I've self-published them. They're good books. Wonderful books. I ought to send you uh, copies of my books. Love to have you read them and tell me what you think. But I have never really, really, truly gone after that with all my heart and soul. When I was in my early 20s, I wrote something. You know, my, my mom and dad, God bless them, said, you know what? You're a smart guy. You're in business. Really focus on that. Just kind of do this on the side because it doesn't really work out for most people. And e even now, I'm, I'm in a business that I love. I get to, to do this podcast and I adore uh, being able to interview phenomenal people like you and learn from them. But my heart's been telling me, you need to write, man. You need to write. You need to get your books out there. You need to get all this stuff out there because that's who you really are. You're a writer. And yeah. so there's a, there's a former client of mine named Steve Richmond. He's been a guest on, on this show, okay? And Steve is a really interesting cat. He's been bugging me for six months to hire him for him to coach me. Now you got to get, that was weird for me to begin with. Like I was his business coach. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. helped, I helped this guy go from being an employee to being like a thought leader in the area of helping men, right? And he's local, he's in Toronto and all that stuff. And Steve's going, no, 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 man, you need to work with me. And these are the reasons why. And I, and I just kind of pushed him off. You know what I mean? Like in my brain, it was like, I'm not going to work with this guy. He was my client, right? Like I didn't tell him that, but I didn't want to insult him. But, you know, that, that was the thought that went through my head. And he wouldn't let up. This man saw a reason and he wouldn't let up. And God bless him because, you know, during this Corona time, I just said, you know what? All right, let's have a real talk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open my heart and see if there's an opportunity here. And we had a conversation and I hired him. I hired him. I mean, all nice. I can say is I hired him, you know? And so we had our first session last week. And what came up in that first session was you're, you're, you're dissatisfied because you have not allowed yourself to truly live the life that you want to live. You wanted to be a writer. And for a bunch of reasons, you've kind of put it as a side project. And I'm like, gosh, he's right. And it hit me right there. And I'm like, okay, I'm writing at least 500 words a day. That was like a week ago. I've written a minimum 500 words a day every day since. I've done twice that a few days. And I've been writing a book with a fellow here by the name of Kai Bjorn. Kai owns BNI Canada. I'm sure you know BNI, right? The, the, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had Ivan Meisner write the foreword to it, which was kind of cool. But this book, we've been talking about this book for over a year, and it's kind of been languishing. Like, we've, we've done very little writing on it. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Whether he writes or not, I'm writing. Let's go. Let's make it happen. I mean, he's busy. He's running a big company, you know, but I'm writing the book. So I sent him the first kind of chapter I finished over the weekend. He's like, oh, my God, this guy's like, he's getting to work. Okay, so I better do something, right? And I'm excited about this because for the first time in my life, it's not just a fantasy anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm yeah, doing this. And now, while I made this decision, I became friends with probably the greatest marketer of nonfiction books in history, Mark Victor Hansen, right? I mean, sold 500 million of them. So 
I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, and I know you, you're a best-selling author. You know, you've written books with Jim Rohn and on your own, you've sold hundreds of thousands of books. And, and I'm like, okay, so I've got some of the right people around me. I'm doing this. I'm going for it. I'm going to get a nonfiction book published, but I like novels too. I'm going to write a couple novels as well. And I've written a, a children's book teaching kids about free enterprise principles. Ever tell you about this? I wrote a book years ago called Kathy Capitalist and Johnny Jobmaker. It's on Amazon, the video game company, and it's about teaching kids under the age of eight about free market economics because I was getting sick and tired of seeing all this leftist stuff being written and little kids having to imbibe that. And I thought, you know what? I want to show them why capitalism is good. So this is who I, I am. And if I fall on my face, I fall on my face, but I'm going for it. So that's incredible. And, and, you know, it, it's a great example to the people who listen to you um, that, you know, this isn't just something to sit around and mope and whine and cry. And, and I'll tell you what, there's some people that are listening right now and you need to hear what I'm about to say. This is the biggest blessing to ever hit you. You losing your job is the best thing that ever happened to you. Now, not everybody, I'm not saying this to everybody, but there are some people for whom you shouldn't have been in that job anyway. And you know it, and your boss knows it, and you weren't a good fit, but you never left because you were afraid. Now, I'll tell you a story. One of my first mentors, I was a, a young guy, and I got to know a guy named Bob Paquin, P-A-Q-U-I-N. Bob was the um, chief operating officer of Harry and David and then Land's End. And when I met him, he moved to Seattle. He was the chief operating officer of Blue Nile, which was the first big online jewelry store. And, uh, and it was started by a young kid, a Harvard Business School graduate. And he brought in an old guy, Bob, to, to, you know, to make sure that he did things right. And Bob told me a story once. We were in a men's group together. And he said, you know, he said, I regularly fire people. And a lot of people think that's a bad thing. They feel bad about firing people. And he said, I only fire people who deserve it or who need it. And he said, and here's what I do when I fire people. I'll fire them at 3 p.m. And I'll tell them that they need to clean their, you know, clean their desk out and everything. And, and he's a nice guy. I mean, he's not, get out of your office. You know, he's not that kind of guy, right? Very, you know, very um, reserved, elegant, almost older man. He, he says, you know, I'm going to have to let you go. I need you to get your office ready. And I want to take you for dinner tonight. And he would take them out for dinner and he would help them with their resume. And he would tell them that he would, he would refer them to certain jobs or industries or companies that were a better fit. So he would, you know, he wouldn't give them a recommendation to anybody, but he would basically lead them and guide them, give them career advice and say, if you apply for these positions at these companies or whatever, I'll even write you the reference. And he said, Chris, I can't tell you how many people met me up, you know, called me up, emailed me, saw me, whatever, three years, five years, 10 years later, and said, the best thing that ever happened to me was you firing me. And I never had the courage to quit. But when you fired me, I knew it. I knew I wasn't a good fit. I didn't have the courage to quit. And so when you fired me, now I had my opportunity. So I will say this to folks, if you lost your job, maybe you need to go back and get that same job. But maybe this is your opportunity to go and do something that you never had the courage to do before, because now you have all the time in the world to go and do it. So look at it that way. Most of you, 
it's probably the exact right thing to do. Go back to your regular job, your regular career. But there's a few of you, I'm sure, that are listening today and you're nodding your head. Maybe you're driving down the road or you're sitting there in your, your office, but your head is nodding. Yep, that's me. He's talking to me. And I want to just challenge you to go and do it. That's awesome. I love that. That's absolutely amazing. I totally agree. I totally agree. And listen, I love what I'm doing now. I'm going to keep doing it, but I'm going to write and I'm going to get my books out there. Yeah, and, that's and awesome. I'm, and I'm going to I'm going to get them out there in a, in a in a bigger and more powerful way than ever before. And a while ago, I had Jack Canfield on the show, and Jack off the air told me the story about uh, a fellow who runs Mind Valley. I forget his name, but he said that this guy had. Uh, come to a conclusion that he could no longer be silent about his political leanings, right? It just was a, was an issue of integrity for him. And he's on the left of the spectrum, so he's not he's not like myself. He's not like yourself in that regard. But he was being true to himself. And for this, I give him credit. He came out and 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 he let people know that you know he was not a fan of the presidents and he was not a fan of this type of politics. And immediately he lost thirty percent of his uh, of his audience. Like they just said, okay. F you, I'm done with you, bye-bye. But an interesting thing happened. He started to attract other people who otherwise wouldn't have given him the time of day. And he made back that audience and then some. And Absolutely. He did. And, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a free market type of guy, and I uh, tend to be a supporter of free speech and that sort of thing. And I used to, like, hide it. I used to, like, not want to talk about it because I didn't want to lose business and any of that stuff. And you know what? I've come to the conclusion that I'm a Christian from the Middle East, from Iran. I left my country because I, I, I used to live in tyranny. And I came to the free West because I value freedom and I value freedom of expression. So I'm not going to be silent. I'm going to speak my piece. Does that mean I'm going to go out of my way to go try and offend people? Heck no. But I am an unapologetic capitalist. I believe in the free market system. I believe in freedom of expression. And from now to the day I die, those are values I'm going to stand up for and speak about loudly, including on the show. And, and, well, and that's I, how it's got to be. I would encourage you to continue to do that and applaud it. You know, I had a guy who shall remain nameless, but you know his name and probably everybody on the show knows his name. One of the big leaders in the self-help movement. He said to me one time, he said, uh, aren't you afraid that your political positions are going to cost you money? And I said, oh, I'm sure they cost me money. And he said, that's why I never talk politics. I just want all the money. Now, frankly, this is this guy. I mean, he's just all about the money. He, he pretends to be all about everybody else, but he's really all about the money. Yeah. And he told me that. He said, oh, I never take a stance. I never take a position uh, because they won't buy from me if I do. And that's true. I suppose that's true. And I'm not suggesting that every store shop owner put a sign, you know, Trump, Trump supporters not allowed or only Trump supporters allowed. I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting that when we're making monetary decisions, as higher than, you know, core convictions. I mean, if you just don't care, that's fine. But if you really, really care, and I would say on the right or the left, speak up. 
and say your piece, do it in a way that's, that's respectful and, you know, not divisive and contemplative, you know, asking people to think and those kinds of things. But I never make a decision about what I'm going to say or not say based on whether it'll make me money or not make me money. Amen. Amen. And a hundred percent of the people that are the right people for you to be working with are going to be attracted to the fact that you're being authentic and real anyways. And the people who don't appreciate that probably aren't your ideal clients to begin with. And listen, I will work with anybody who's a good person, heart-driven, wants to make a difference in the world, and is someone that I can help. Anybody. I don't care about the politics. I don't, I don't ask what someone's politics are when I decide oh, yeah, whether I'm going to be. Never. Yeah. I, it, it, it hardly ever comes up. All I'm saying is like in a, in a public forum like Facebook or Twitter, you know, like someone like yourself, you talk about some interesting political things on Facebook and I, I, and I uh, comment on some of the things that you write. I'm not going to not comment because somebody might not like it. I'm going to comment. You know, you're a smart guy, you're a cerebral guy, you're a bright guy, you think about things deeply, and some of the things that you uh, talk about in your Facebook posts, I think, make me a smarter person to engage with them. So, from my perspective, you're welcome. But from my perspective, I like seeing someone like you posting on Facebook. I don't want to have people just be posting about this was some great vacation I did five months ago before the coronavirus. Don't I look great? Doesn't it? Right. Isn't it fabulous? Like, I mean, that's all good and all, but you know, one of the reasons that social media can be powerful is it can help you spread great ideas and help you spread great thinking. And as a thought leader, I think that's very important. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Chris, we like to end off each one of our episodes by asking you as our guest expert to come up with three expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on to expand their thought leadership, to grow their business, to be a better person. What say you? Well, the first thing I would say is get clear with your, with your end game. Like what, what is your end game? You know, it's, it's, pithy, but uh, there's a reason that Stephen Covey sold all those books, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, because it's great little advice. And one of the best ones in there is begin with the end in mind. What do you want to do? What do you want to become? What do you want your impact to be? What is your legacy? Maybe you're starting a nonprofit. Maybe it's writing a book. Maybe it's starting a business you've always wanted to start. Maybe it's starting a family if you're younger and you've just, you know, been too afraid to start because of finances or, you know, what's your big impact that you want to do? Begin with the end in mind. The second one is I would say you got to develop a strategy. What's your strategy? You know, lay out how you're going to get there. What are you going to do? When are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? How are you going to pull the resources together? How are you going to make it happen? What's the strategy? And then the third one is just really simple. Start. Just start. You know, and, and it is, I am by nature a starter. You know, since this coronavirus thing has, has started, I started a business, uh, a, a membership, a microsite um, membership a site with I've put 1,100 people into a membership site in the last six weeks uh, that I started wow. from scratch on March 17th. I started a nonprofit 
I, I got my paperwork uh, filed here and accepted in Arizona. It's off with the uh, with the IRS right now. I expect to hear back in 30 days. I hired a group to help me do that. That's all they do is is that kind of thing. I I finished and then my 21st book and I started writing my 22nd book. You know, it's like if you just start, you can get a lot done. But a lot of people just think too long about it. They they think about starting and they never actually start. How many dreams die in the mind because they never transfer outward into actions. And it's most of them. Most dreams die because people simply don't start. Yeah, that's very, very true. Very, very true. I mean, there's so many decisions we have to make that it literally, you just do it. Like I had a coaching client one time. He was 34 years old. He had three kids under the age of five and he made $450,000 a year. And on my first or second call, I asked him, I said, how much life insurance do you have? And he said, oh, I don't have any life insurance. I know I really need to get some, you know, I really do. And I said, you know, my dad was 41 when he died. He made $90,000 the last year he was alive, which was 1969. In 1969, he made $90,000. He was the fifth partner at what is now one of the largest architecture firms in the world, NBB&J out of Seattle. And he had $30,000 worth of life insurance. So my mom had to sell this house, which recently sold for $2.4 million. She had to sell that in 1970 because she didn't have $400 a month for the mortgage. So I tell this young man who has become a friend, in fact, he's, he's, he's a great guy. And I said to him, I said, okay, here's your homework. And I'm telling you, do not call me for your third call until this is done. And he said, okay, what's my homework? And I said, I need you to get $5 million worth of life insurance. And he said, really? And I said, yeah, don't call me until you have $5 million in life insurance in place. And he's like, well, that sounds like an awful lot. I said, no, it's, it's 11 times your annual income. And that's what your wife and kids are going to need in the, in the pot if you unfortunately passed away. And he said, you're joking, right? And I said, no, do not call me again until you have $5 million in life insurance. So he called me back and he said, I just got it. And I can't believe how cheap it is. He pays like $265 a month for, for $5 million worth of life insurance. That's and awesome. All he had to do was take action, pick up the phone. How hard is it? Pick up the phone. You call your friend who's the life insurance guy and say, can you come over to my house on Tuesday night? I need to get some life insurance. It's pretty simple. But a lot of people don't do that. My life would have been completely different if my dad would have chosen to have a one-hour meeting with a life insurance salesman just to get himself to the position where he was he had the appropriate amount of life insurance. Wow. That's powerful. And that ought to be in an ad for life insurance somewhere. Oh, I, I, tell, I tell people all the time, I would have made a fortune in life insurance. I would have just told my story. You know, when my dad died, my mom had to sell the house because she couldn't afford the $400 a month outrageous mortgage payment. That began a down, downward slide where I ended up living in 28 homes. I went to 11 different schools. I started drugs in the sixth grade, and I made most of my money growing up betting horses at Long Acres Horse Track outside of Seattle. Um, I had a rough upbringing because my dad didn't have a one-hour meeting with a life insurance salesman. Now, all of that turmoil made me into the man who I am, and, and I learned a lot, and I grew a lot, and I became a lot because of that. But I think I would have liked to have tried the other direction with a, you know, 
with with some resources to be able to to have a good life and stay in one home and you know those kinds of things. Oh man, amen, amen. So, listener, Chris Widener is the real deal, and he's one of the most powerful coaches that there is out there. He has got a phenomenal, phenomenal skill set. And he's really good at working with entrepreneurs who are looking at what kind of impact and what kind of legacy they want to leave. So, Chris, how does someone get a hold of you to find out about working with you? Yeah, I'd love it. Uh, I actually have some coaching uh, spots open. I, you know, I normally keep it uh, relatively small. It's still small, but you know, I'll take ten or twelve people at a time. But uh, of course, I'm not traveling and doing all my speaking now, so I have some more room for some folks. You know, whether they want to do six months or a year, all they have to do is send me an email. My email is my last name Widener Group. Widener Group, all one word at gmail.com. Widener Group at gmail.com, or they could Chris at chriswidener.com also works, uh, and that will come through me through to me as well. And uh, just reach out if you'd be interested. We can do a, a little call and uh, see if we'd be a good fit to work together. Awesome. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes so that they can take advantage of that. Great. So, listener, here's the other thing. You've listened to Chris. He's motivated you. He's inspired you. He's given you some courage to do some things. His stories were amazing. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, Nikki, how do I pivot in this time of the coronavirus? How do I take what I have inside me and turn it into business magic? And that's a great question. The answer is very simple, okay? First thing you want to do is go to our website, ecircleacademy.com. And there's a button smack dab in the middle of the page that says, watch free masterclass. This masterclass is all about a tutorial on how to take your expertise and turn it into a powerful commercial offer that solves a very specific problem. It's free. Bring your notebook, bring a pen, take good notes, make sure that you do this. And once you've done that, you can take that and apply it to your business right away for free. If you want more help than that, what you can do is click the button right above it, which says book a success call. Then you book a success call. And on that success call, we'll have a very real and honest conversation about where you're at, what the gap is between where you're at and where you want to be, and how you can get there. And we'll take it from there. That call is also free. Take advantage of it. You are in a time right now where you need human connection. You need the connection with good people. You need to learn from good people. Don't try to do 2020 and the pandemic alone. Take advantage of these resources and make sure that you check out Chris and all the good work that he does. All that information is going to be in, in the show notes. My friend, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. It was a real honor to have you here. I really enjoyed our conversation as always. Absolutely, Nikki. I appreciate you uh, bringing me on. And I hope that, you know, I helped uh, a few folks think about a couple things differently. You know, all, we talked about an awful lot, but it's the one thing that will change you. You know, most of what I said today, you probably thought, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. I do that. Yeah. But it's the one thing where you go, uh oh, that's me. That's what you need to go work on. It's the it's the uh oh, that's me. He's talking about. Amen. Go work on this one. Pick one thing. Go work on. it. Amen. hundred percent. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Chris Widener, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Check out the show notes, send them an email. And to watch that free masterclass, go to eastcircleacademy.com and check it out. Until next time, goodbye.